Is your family a success? Is there even a measure for family success? We think there is, and with a 20-year track record of success, we're going to show you how to bless your family with success in your health, relationships, and finances. I'm Steve Keen, and I'm Katie Keen, and along with some awesome guests, we are going to give you our secrets to family success. Welcome to Family Success Secrets. Hi, everybody. Today we have with us Annie Tremel. She grew up as the oldest sibling to a person with disabilities. She is the go-to guide among special needs families who are ready to transform their parent-sibling and sibling-sibling relationships. Her shame-free, no-nonsense approach ensures that both typically developing children and children with disabilities feel equally loved and valued while making sure that everyone's needs get met. When she's not out working her whisperer magic, you can find this former school psychologist and college instructor belting out 80s hairband tunes or hiding in the closet with her secret stash of caramel M&Ms while reading Harry Potter again. (laughs) Annie, we're so glad to have you here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So you have a lot in common with our oldest child, and we were so excited when we met you to be able to have you bring an adult perspective into what it is like to be a sibling of a special needs child. Parents in general are very interested in sibling relationships. And so you have a unique perspective. So would you share with us your story? Absolutely. Obviously, my story starts as a young child. I was two when my sister was born. Dubes is the third child in my family. I'm the oldest. She was born with special needs. She has what is now called autism and intellectual disability. And I'm the oldest of five. So as we grew up, it was kind of a crazy household. And I definitely had that stereotypical oldest child of a child with a sibling of a child with a disability, you know, that caregiver, that helper, that pleaser, that person who just tried to be all things to all people. And as I grew up, that looked a little different as I went through all those different developmental stages. And it started to cause me real trouble when I got into my early teen to teen years. I really went through some struggles with my self-identity, with my role, who I was and and who I was to who. And it honestly was something I struggled with and then continued into adulthood struggling with. Eventually, I went into school and became a school psychologist. So I was able to go on the other side of that fence and learn all about disabilities, learn all about all kinds of them, about families, about development, about education. And I think all of that was really a bit of It was almost like self-therapy in many ways. I learned so much about the mechanics and the specifics and the science behind it. And then I was able to apply it to my life and my experience of how I felt, my feelings, the events that had happened, my experience, my relationships. And now I work as a family support strategist for special needs families so that I can kind of combine those two things and have a unique perspective where I can help families and help siblings of children with disabilities to learn how to do the things I didn't learn to do as a child, to learn how to create boundaries, how to self-advocate while advocating for others, to create a system of support and how to really get their needs met, get what they need while still contributing to the world in the way that their resilience, their empathy, and their intuition want them to. Yeah, we've definitely noticed within our children so far that just like you said, the empathy is huge. They're compassionate. They love people. They don't have any kind of discrimination against others with special needs because for our children, you know, that's a very normal part of their daily life. 
And I remember you mentioned that if these siblings are not managed correctly during their childhood, that some of that gets lost when they come into adulthood. Would you be able to talk about that? Yeah. And one, that's a huge thing. I think a lot of the times parents of children with special needs, man, of all groups, we know that they have the most on their plate, right? It's simply, I want to say it's a superpower to manage a family with typically developing and children with disabilities. I also also always hesitate to say that because I don't know one parent who wants to be a martyr. You're, you're, that's a superpower. You're great. They want help. They want support. They want resources. So I hesitate a little when I say that, but the truth is I'm in awe of those people. And I think it's really important that they know that, yeah, their, their child that doesn't have disabilities is struggling. And while I know they're aware of that, and in the parents I've talked to, they do everything they can. They do everything they can. They want the best for each of their children, not one more than the other. They do everything they can to give the child attention, to connect with the child. Unfortunately, what they don't always know is that unless you take some really intentional, purposeful steps, it takes more than what typically parents are giving. Simply because those typically developing SIBs aren't sharing the struggles they're having. They don't often know they're having the struggles. They're struggling, but they don't know why. They're not able to pinpoint or identify what skills they're lacking. And as a result, their parents aren't easily able to help them. So I think it's most important for parents to know that this is a struggle they have and that if they go with it unaddressed, they often become, very often become young adults and adults who struggle immensely with relationships, maintaining relationships, with maintaining their own health mentally and physically, and basically with and coping in general with the world in a world that doesn't give back. And as we know, we get older, our relationships, you know, we get, we get more responsibilities. We, what's the word I'm looking for? We are obligated in a certain way to more people with more things, and it just becomes too much to bear. Well, that's such good insight. So when, if you were talking to a family who had just had a diagnosis and you knew they were going to have to navigate these waters, what would you say? What would be your first suggestion to that set of parents? My first suggestion for all parents first is to be very aware and resist isolation. I think we, we both know, I'm sure I can see that knowing smile on your face. We do tend, especially, and I don't want to categorize, but especially as women and moms, we tend to isolate when things get hard. If we're not fortunate enough to have that real close group, like so very few people have, we tend to say it's fine. It's everything's fine. And we do that for a number of reasons. We do it because we want to be fine. We don't want to burden others. And because oftentimes we don't think they can handle it. We're not giving people a whole lot of credit where credit is due. My first thing is be very aware of isolation because that also is modeled to your children as well. If you're not seeking resources and support, they're not going to seek resources and support. And that's the last thing we want for our kids is not to know how to get help when they need it. So on the flip side, when you were working in schools and then you're working with all these kids, and I'm sure you ran across plenty of siblings who had special needs siblings in their family, what would you say to a kid who you knew was about to launch so that they could be prepared and aware? When you say about to launch, what do you mean? Not too many years out from being on their own, not you know having to navigate these waters. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I would say, obviously, to these, these tweens and teens kind of that you're talking about is... Number one, I see you. I understand that there are many things that you don't vocalize that you're struggling with. I would encourage them to talk to their parents as much as they possibly can. And if that's not a possibility for them, I encourage them to find someone who does. I, just like we tell all our children, whether it's a crisis situation or everyday situation, keep asking. 
Keep asking someone different until you find someone who will help you. And this is no different. I'd highly encourage them to, to seek those resources, to find support, and to ask for help. And honestly, I would encourage them to spend some time on their own, really alone if they're able to get that, and think about what it is that they want for themselves. That can be a really uncomfortable exercise for siblings who have never had those thoughts before and have never been asked to do so. But that's probably the first step I'd take. Really sit down, visualize, what do you want for yourself in your life if no one is around? What do you want for you? What age group would you say was uh, capable of doing that exercise realistically? Realistically, I think you can start with the tween age group, kind of that 11, 12 and up. Obviously, you might have to guide them a little. You might have to encourage them, teach them maybe how to do some deep breathing, how to visualize. This can be very new. It seems to be much more like prevalent around mindfulness, but you know, we don't want to assume. So I would definitely encourage them, teach them how to breathe and simply ask them to dream. You know, Use your imagination. It's not something that those older kids get asked to do very often anymore. Not nearly as much as when they were a kid. No, I mean, little kids have to be trained out of that, ironically, right? Yes. Isn't it horrible? (laughs) I mean, it's it's upside down, if you ask me. It is. We should be teaching people to dream more. Absolutely. I think that's something that we see with a lot of um, the motivational speakers, you know, Tony Robbins and Mary Morrissey and people who now are having to retrain adults how to see their vision for their life. So I think that's so wise that you say to try and start when they're young and they still have the innate ability to make it a normal part of their daily life. Yes, absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Wow. So as you were growing, I know you said you had a wonderful family. You know, what things did you wish you had known in the middle of all of that you were experiencing? I wish that I had known that... Whereas most typical teens feel like they're all alone, like in their struggle. I actually wish I had known the opposite. I wish I had known that my situation was more unique and that the reason I was feeling so isolated and feeling so unseen and feeling so lost and floating kind of out in the abyss was because no other kids, most other kids are not dealing with what I'm dealing with. That's not something I knew. Honest, to be quite honest, I realized as a tween and teen that my family looked different but it would be years before I realized the implications of that, how, how different that made my daily life, how different that made my interactions with my family and with other people, and how it changed the way I saw the world in good ways and in not so good ways. I wish I had known that because I think I wouldn't have felt so much like I should be able to figure this out. I would have known that I needed the help. So you said there were good things too, which, you know, we've already covered a little bit. These kids have empathy and compassion. And what good things would you say are your strengths? Because I would say, I think resilience certainly is a strength. You're not going to find more resilient kids than children with disabilities and siblings of children with disabilities. Simply by nature of the beast, you, you plow down and you get through it and you realize that you can do hard things, right? I think resilience, I think intuition is something, it's probably something I was born with, but that was highly honed by being in a family where you have to interpret needs pretty quickly and ahead of time. So I think that's been a huge blessing for me in my life. It's helped me immensely in my career and in my relationships with other people, being able to read others, kind of honing that sensitivity. And I also think probably, I think the empathy piece is huge. I think like you, you, know, you alluded to it before, but just the ability, whereas... In the, in the wide world, I know I work with adults sometimes where we, we have to teach adults how to approach someone with a disability, how to interact in the workplace, how to do those things. 
sips just naturally know. They know that when it's okay and how to ask, you know, someone else if they need help. They know how to assist someone. They know how to interact with someone, how to address someone, proper language. They they just have these innate gifts of perception and knowing that allow them to pick these things up so quickly and make them these amazing, amazing mediators in the world, which is why I absolutely love working with these kids because their gifts are stunning and the things they can do with their future are stunning if they can only see it. And that's what I help them do is see it and make it a reality. I love that because it is so important. And that is something that we want so much to bring to families is that it's not always your circumstance. It's how you view your circumstance that either limits you or helps you. And if you can view your circumstance as somehow shaping you and in some way an opportunity and then find the balance within that, like you said, the self-care, the time to think alone, you know, to make sure you're not putting yourself completely last, but it is so valuable and it can either destroy families or it can strengthen families. Absolutely. And parents model this for their kids. You know, even if you're living in in crisis quite often, which does happen with a lot of special needs families, that's not your fault. And you can do something about that. That is something that can be addressed and you can help your kids while you're helping yourself, which is what we all want. And yeah, it's so, so important. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. And I love that you're doing that with these youths because you're allowing them to keep those gifts that they have and even actually see the gifts and then to grow and strengthen the gifts. Right. Well, and I think it's so important that the thing about those gifts is, is if just like any other gifts you're given, if you don't nurture them, if you don't care for them, if you don't protect them, they can hurt you, right? That intuition, that empathy, that resilience can sometimes lead to burnout, to lack of self-care, to all those kinds of things we talked about. So just like any gift you're given, you have to nurture it. You have to make it work. It's just a little harder for sibs. It's a little more work, but it's, it's worth the reward 20 times over because those gifts are some of the rarest, if you ask me, in the world. We just don't see those you know, in, in everyday people. Right. And, and really, they can enhance and make the world such a, a much better place. Yes. So if parents who are listening think, oh my goodness, I've never thought about this. And I have these kids who could really benefit from this. What would they expect if they were to contact you? What would, what would their experience be like? If they were to contact me first, the most important thing is I like to get to know people that I work with quite well. As we know, disability families, they run the gamut, the spectrum of what their family needs are, of the situations they're in. And, and where they're at and how they're working on a, you know, and functioning on a daily basis. So getting to know my families is most important. But when families do come in to work with me, we usually get involved in my See Me Method program. And when we do that, we focus largely on safety, on engagement, and on empowerment, both for the parents and the kids, to really help kind of establish a plan and a foundation for moving forward. We make it so that you're not just living from chaos to chaos, from crisis to crisis, but that you have a daily plan and that you have a plan for crisis so that you're supported and so that other dreams in your life can be realized, other goals that you have can be realized, and that that dream, like typical day in your life is what you're living every day, not just what you're thinking is impossible or way too far out. You know, we can make that happen. I love that. That is really awesome. So there you were as the oldest kid in the group, right? And so you're kind of like that third parent 
if if you will, right? Where you're taking yes. care of the younger kids and especially especially your sister there. But there came a time when when you went off to college, right? And yes. that role either went with you or it transferred down to the next in, in the line. But what happened in, in your case? For me personally, that time was enormous. There was an enormous amount of turmoil in me in that time. There was, it was many fold. And if I really think about it, I realized there was a number of different paths my mind was on. First of all, I think like most 18 year olds, I was walking into the world hoping I was going in the right direction, (laughs) not really sure. And as a sib, I had always gone for perfection. So not knowing was terribly disrupting to my mental health, but I just kept going. I did it. And like most sibs, I jumped right in. I pushed through. I did what I needed to do, but that path was tough. There's also that path, another path of leaving behind that responsibility. It felt freeing and horribly guilt-inducing at the same time. So there was this horrible mixed feelings of not being the support that I felt I needed to be, and yet knowing that I could not do that and get what I needed for myself at the same time. It's horribly, those mixed feelings, I, I wouldn't wish them on anybody. And then I think there was probably that third path. And that third path was my relationship specifically with my siblings and specifically with my sister. We were all changing. We were actually quite close together, with the exception... Well, from me to my youngest sibling is seven years. So we're kind of, it was always, it was kind of one after the other. And it was definitely a change when that happened. It kind of goes down the line after that. The great thing about it and outcome of it was I was the first one to go to college and the first one, frankly, to think about it. So we've often talked about the fact that me going to college set a precedent for my siblings, which is great. And I'm proud of that, though. That was obviously not my intention at the time. It was great. It also, however set in motion a complete change of dynamic in family. We had to learn how to relate to each other as different people. Because when I left and when I changed and when I started to actually think about who I was and experiment with different things as young people do in my personality, it changed my dynamic with other people. I wasn't always doing what was expected of me. And that was different. And that made people uncomfortable at times. It made me uncomfortable at times because I didn't know if I could stand my ground or if I was always doing the right thing. It might feel like it's the right thing, but I had never learned to trust myself enough to know. So there was just that time of change and that time of growth, whereas I think it's usually at that age, a time of change and growth, that identity, it had so many more dimensions. Looking back, the one thing I wish I had done was I wish I had gotten more help from others in guiding myself through that. When you went to college, was it local or did you go maybe out of state or a couple of hours away? How'd that work? I I went to college about an hour and 45 minutes away. So it was far enough away to be outside of my hometown. You couldn't just run home, but it was close enough that I could hitch a ride with someone on the weekends to get home when I wanted. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I, I just wondered if there was that expectation yeah. that we'll see you on the weekends, right? Because we need you to yeah. fill that role here. Yeah. And I will say that fortunately for me, I was very fortunate. That was not an expectation, though I know that is not the truth for all siblings. And I feel very fortunate that I did not have that. I really only had to contend with my inner guilt, (laughs) but um, I know many siblings have much more than that to contend with. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So when did you know that psychology was, was going to be your major and had was that just always a curiosity? Was it something that you thought, see if I can get some self-help out of this? Or, you, you know, how did it work for you that, yeah. that you sort of not switch teams, but, you know, you switch sides? Yeah. 
Well, I was that person who I had, I probably had seven or eight majors in college, like where I switched and I switched. And I, so I didn't quite know. And I ended up with a minor in psychology simply because I had liked the classes. I thought it was great. But it wasn't actually until my senior year of school that a friend decided to apply to a sky psychology program. And I was like, well, that sounds great. I did. I'll do it too. (laughs) I honestly kind of just like fell into it and it turned out to be an amazing, one of those amazing serendipitous things and just worked out for me. But no, it it definitely wasn't something I planned or honestly something I ever would have thought I'd be great at, but it turned out to be the right thing. Oh, that's really cool because I, you know, I'm sure we all had that experience. Many people did not finish college the way they started or with the degree that they maybe had planned. So right. um, yeah. were you able to come home and say, hey, let me tell you about this thing that I learned. Let me tell you about <laughs> this concept. Or was it kind of like, uh, that's well, not what I'm here. <laughs> well, I will say this. As the oldest, I was always naturally a little bossy. Oh, yeah. From it's early natural. on. So... I'll admit it now. It's taken a lot of years to throw that out there. And if my siblings say it to me, I might deny it. But (laughs) I, I was a little bossy then. And then as I started to learn and grow and made some decisions that were more based on maintaining mental health and mental wellness, yeah, I think there was times when I would get the eye roll when I turned my back, I'm sure. There was times when I talked to my family about things which was different than the way we had done that or different than the way we had viewed a situation previously where they would just get quiet and listen. I think they appreciate it and I think they still appreciate what contribute to the family. I do think that being the psychologist is probably, I don't know, it's not what they talk about first about me. Let's just say that. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. So, so how is how is the family now? Now that we fast forwarded ten yeah. years or so, and 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 all of the siblings, I assume, are grown up and and out of the yeah. house. What's life mm-hmm. for that close knit family now? All these years later. Well, now all of us siblings are spread out. There's there's siblings in different areas of the country. I live within a half an hour or so of where I graduated from high school. My sibling with a disability lives in um, an assisted living home in that city half an hour from me. So me, my mom, and my sibling are kind of all in, um, for where I live, that's a pretty close triangle. There's a lot of rural area where I live. My other siblings, like I said, are across the country. And honestly, that's kind of a weird question with COVID. I'm trying to remember back before COVID, we generally don't see each other now because of the travel, but otherwise we get together at holidays and we obviously communicate by phone. And, you know, the, the great thing about that is that we all have our own individual lives, including my sister with a disability. I know there's a lot of, there's so much discussion and so much debate in the disability community about care for adult siblings. And I know people feel strongly many times about not having siblings leave the home. But in our case, it was great for her. You know, she gets to have friends. She gets to make some autonomous decisions, even though she's in a care facility, that honestly, that just like me or my other siblings, if we had stayed at our home, we would have stayed in those habits or patterns that we had developed as kids, which we all know aren't necessarily great all the time. You know, we would have reacted to each other all the time the same way, done all that. Even for her, being outside the home, she can grow and change just like the rest of us. And it's honestly been great. I was actually joking with my mom like a few months ago because I'm 42, she's 40, you know, and 
the, the thing about this is her being there has allowed her to develop her personality to the point where, yeah, some days we're joking and laughing and having fun just like we used to. Some days she's a crabby old middle-aged woman just like me, you know? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just like... The truth is this freedom, this autonomy to the degree that she's, that she's able to have it and still be cared for, you know, it allowed her to do that, allowed us to evolve in our relationship and grow rather than staying stuck in those sibling roles, which are good in some ways, but we all need to move out of, Yeah. right? right. And it's hard to move out of those if you're living in the same home for a really long time. Right. Well, that's interesting that you've kept such close watch on, on how she developed as well, you know, even though you're not right there in the same home, but you can see it and you can say, I, I can see this shift from A to B to C to D. Yeah, it's a hazard cool. of the job or overanalyzing all that stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, Hey, talk about overanalyzing. Nice segue. I, because we like to, we like to have folks talk about their business. If, if they have embarked on some type of entrepreneurial journey, there you were as as a faculty member in in the school system, mm-hmm. and then you've you've shifted out of that into mm-hmm. into your own thing. What was that like for you? I mean, did you feel like I'm making the gutsiest, riskiest, craziest decision of my life, or did it feel like a natural transition because you're just ready for it? <laughs> I think on the best days it felt gutsy and courageous. And on many more of the worst days, it felt scary as heck and frankly, guilt inducing because, because public service was right. something that was a part of my life for so long. And you definitely, you feel connected to those colleagues, to those kids, you know, to that mission. And what's great is that though I struggled with that over time, I've realized that it's the same mission. I'm just accomplishing it in a different way. And, and frankly, in a way that works better for my family, it works better for me. And my goal in the future is that if I can have continued success with this, it will allow me to give back to those colleagues and the people I left back in the public system, you know, to help them do their job better. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Well, and that's true. And, and perhaps another point is that, let's say, the next person that comes in behind you is well equipped to deal with with the matters there at any particular school but there's not as many people like you who are capable of reaching to those families on a one-on-one basis the way that they're needed so that type of support was lacking when you were in in the school system right so you sort of plug that hole in the school system with somebody who can fulfill that and that frees you up now to reach a more targeted audience outside of the school system. So it, it does sound like a win-win. Yeah. Let, you know, that's the hope that it all kind of balances out. And, you know, I, I'm a big believer that we're put here to, for a very specific purpose or purposes, and that we'll know when we find it, even if it takes us till we're 80. So <laughs> that's the path I'm on. There you are. Right. I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'll let you know when I figure that out. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. We'll, we'll share it with the audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, I know that our oldest, he was super interested in talking to you at some point. So we'll just have to have him check in with you because he, he has loved being the oldest sibling in a family with special yeah. needs kids. And he has felt the lack of kids his age to understand where he's at. and. You know, he, for, for a long time, has wanted to set up a community of siblings with special needs, you know, 
with special needs kids in their family to help them have friends who get it. He loves the friends he has. He values them highly. But many of them, most of them, just don't understand aspects. And yeah. so. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I understand that. I understand that that feeling he's having. And I commend him for wanting to do something to create connection in his own world and for others. That's a huge, that's a huge thing. And to have that awareness that that age is, it's pretty admirable. Yeah. He sees himself in certain ways as an advocate too, for families like ours, you know, and families who, and for special needs kids and for the siblings, because he knows they're having a unique experience. And um, yes. so, yeah. So we're, we're hoping to support him in the creation of that community in the nearish future. Yes. Well, yeah. Let me know. I'd love to be a part of it or, or help if I can. Thank you. Oh, that's cool. So towards this part of the show, we normally will say, hey, we like to share secrets with other family members out there. Now, you have the opportunity as both a kid who grew up in a home with a special needs kid. No doubt you must have had some sort of systems in your in your home growing up, or maybe you have a system in your current home that is something that would be of value to the folks in the audience today. Any, anything that can help them to garner some extra success in their life and their family. Do you have a system like that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah. I thrive on systems as an adult. <laughs> okay. I thrive on them. Yes. I'm not great. I am naturally a slightly creative, unstructured person, but even as that person, I know I work best with systems. So Mm -hmm. let me think of what systems I probably enjoy most in my, I think it's the simplest ones. And I think the one I enjoy most in my day is the one when my kids get off the bus from school. Okay. We have a system of questions that we ask about their day that just kind of helps them debrief a little, helps me know where they're at both in the way that they answer it and in what they tell me and helps us kind of make that transition to move into home stuff, right? Because as we all know, a little less with COVID, but sometimes it's just madness getting the evening stuff done, dinner, sports, whatever. So really it's just three simple questions. When my kids come in, they put their stuff away, but they sit down and I ask them, you know, what was your biggest challenge today? What was most difficult? They answer that. I ask them, what was the best part of the day? What made you the happiest? And then I often ask them anything surprising or interesting about the day you know, surprise me today. That's usually their favorite. And it's usually their opportunity to kind of, kind of open up about the random things or, you know, it kind of triggers their brain about the random thing that happened with a friend or that someone said that made them roll, you know, around laughing. And it just gives me those little insights into how things are going with them and, and, you know, what, how they're feeling in general about their life, because Mm -hmm. there's, you know, eight hours a day there, I don't see them. It's a whole different life for them away from me. And I just want to just have a little finger on the pulse of how that's going. <laughs> so are, are they all, th- all, all together at the same time? Or do you, do you happen to find time with each of them individually, separate? I, yeah, I have two kids, 11 and 9. And we share this all together. This is, you know, they throw their stuff down, kind of put it away, ideally. <laughs> throw their stuff down really and come on in and it's just a chance I just see who wants to go first usually it's my oldest my son wants to share first we go through the process we you know we wait till we completely go through that conversation my daughter asks questions and participates or puts in comments asked or not when she wants to and then we move on to my daughter and we kind of do the same thing again and when we're out of stuff to say we move on with the rest of our night I see and that and that works great it does it usually takes about you know, depending on the day, could take 10 minutes, could take 20, but it's kind of plotted in for the day and we go from mm-hmm. there. 
So, so is it always you who asked the question as, as the professional or maybe? <laughs> no, no. Well, and I try not to sound like a professional when I talk to my own kids. Sure. So sometimes they're like, mom, you can't, you can't ask me that. But that's awesome. <laughs> but I will say this. I do often encourage them. Hey, you guys know the drill. We've been doing this for God knows how long. You know, they much prefer me to ask them the questions. There's some, there must be something comforting about that for them, for me to ask them that question. But almost always, they will ask me to go through the questions, even though they know what they are. I'll see. I love that. That's yeah. really cool. I, I have a feeling that that is probably sort of an anchor in their day, and they probably look forward to it. I would agree. Yeah, it's a really nice way to bookend the school day. No, that's cool. And no doubt they will take that with them. I hope so. I hope they take it and make it better and take it with them. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, because... yeah. We, we would ask the kids, what did you learn today? Nothing. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what do you mean, nothing? We know you did eight <laughs> hours of learning. <laughs> well, and that is honestly what prompted this. Like, the, I think yeah. we started this a couple of years ago. That is honestly what prompted it because I was sick of prying stuff out of them. Mm-hmm. So, so occasionally academic stuff comes up. And to be honest, now that we're used to this, academic stuff comes up all the time without me having to pry once they kind of get used to it. But yeah, that was initially my thing. I'm like... So this is a non-negotiable. It does not have to be about academics, but you have to answer the questions. And pretty soon it became enjoyable rather than, you know, oh, mom, the stuff she makes us do, you know. (laughs) I love that because it's also going to keep an absolutely open gateway for communication when they hit high school and their teen years. And they'll know they have a safe place and an established routine. And there won't be that temptation to to shut down and not communicate. That's the hope, right? Yeah. Right. We might have to up-level it at some point. We're getting, my older one's getting into the teen years and yeah, I have a feeling I'm going to up my game a little, a little bit soon, but we're not so, quite there yet. I'll hang with the, I like the middle-aged kids a little easier. I'll hang with that for a while. <laughs> we have added in most evenings, not every evening, but paleo chocolate chip cookies make for a really good sit down on the couch for just a few minutes in the evening when the littler ones who are loud and noisy are in bed. And so then the older ones, they've had a good day. Everything's quiet. It's just us. And we can all talk in cookies always make it happy. Yeah. That would make it fun for everybody. I would totally do that. Yeah. I'll talk to anybody for cookies. And I think my kids would too. That's a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. And they're not unhealthy. So we're not giving them a bunch of sugar or anything. So, oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So a similar question from your professional expertise is, is there anything that you could say, you know, based on my years of experience in in school office or any sort of clinical practice, anything like that, that you would say, here's a good system that's also handy for families to implement? The best system for families, as far as what kind of goal would they be looking for? Oh, anything. Well, you know, you've already covered the family stuff. So any of the household duties and chores and laundry and stuff like that's out. But now you have to talk about, well, this is what I know as a professional counselor or. There's a million tips and tricks that I could give parents about any variety of things, interrupting, distraction, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to just give one kind of blanket statement that I think is great for school professionals, for home professional or home, home professionals, family members, moms, dads. And that is, is before you can make any movement with a child, whether it's a child with a disability or, or a typically developing child, if they are elevated in any way in their body, if their physiology is up because they're angry, they're mad, they're sad, they're frustrated, anything outside of contentment, joy, or calm, you have to establish safety for that child before they're going to be able to make any changes in their behavior or before they're going to be able to 
communicate and connect with you in any way. Oftentimes when we, we take the time when kids are elevated like that in some way or agitated or anxious to try to connect with them, and we have to take a step back and really work first on the safety for them, making sure that their emotional safety is happening. They feel like they're in a safe place and with a safe person to share, to talk, to be. And then also that physical safety, obviously that looks different for different kids. And some of that's really obvious, like, you know, a safe place from other people, a safe place if something, you know, is happening like in a family with disabilities where sometimes there's some aggression or whatever, but also just generally like a safe, a place that they feel comfortable and get them calm, get that physiology down. You can use mindfulness techniques. It can be as simple as giving them time, you know, waiting it out. It can be, you know, journaling. It can be any variety of things, whatever you decide um, works for you. But before you try to make that connection, you must have the safety in place. They need to be at a calm place before a connection can happen. And I know it seems like it might be, that's like a no brainer, but in actuality, when people try to implement, they almost always over skip over that step. They almost always try to jump to connection before without calm and contentment. So it's pretty important. That's cool. It makes really good sense too. Because if you think about somebody who's in crisis or who's emotional, their logical part of their brain isn't working until they calm down. Right. And so if you do want to make that connection, you need them to be in a logical, rational state. So that makes yeah. perfect sense. Right. Well, and if you think about if you think about it in a physiological way, our nervous system, when you are in that state of anxious anxiety, arousal, and whatever, your neurons and all of those pathways are already being taken up. Things are fewing, 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 fewing. If that's happening inside your body, there is no room for connection. Connection requires those pathways. So you have to have the other stuff calm down before you before it's literally even possible for your body and your brain to do that, for you to feel safe in your body, feel safe in your mind and and make those connections, at least connections that last. Wow, that's such a great tip for all the parents out there. And I think it's a matter of just being patient too. I think a lot of us are feeling the urgency of the meltdown or whatever's happening and you just want to solve it so badly, but patience can actually lead to much better solutions. Yes, and we have to remember that our kids are fine. Mm -hmm. We're built for heightened states, not consistently, not constantly, not all the time. You know, we, we, that's what we're trying to work on, but we are, we're built for that. And that friction caused by those heightened states is where growth happens. So we have to be okay with that friction. And it's, it's really truly is necessary in order to grow. That's incredible. Cause I've, I've heard that used in the sense of physical training, but here we're, we're making a different application of it. And so mm-hmm. yes, in, in a sense, it works both ways that way. It does. Yeah. That's really awesome. Thank you. You have given so much wonderful advice and a really neat perspective for families who really don't have the opportunity to talk to somebody who has grown up the way that you have. So I really appreciate it. For the people who want to reach out to you, what's the best way that they can connect with you? Yeah. Thanks so much for asking. And thank you for having me here. I'm thrilled. Anytime I'm able to serve an audience, it it makes me... It makes me so happy. It fills my purpose. If you want to find me, you can find me at AnnieTremel.com. That's the easiest, quickest way. You can always email me at hello at AnnieTremel.com or DM me on Facebook. I'm at Annie Tremel Connects on Facebook. I love getting direct messages for people. I love talking to people. And, you know, I offer a variety of services and ways to work with me. So feel free to take a look around. If you have questions, just let me know. Cool. We'll make sure we have all those links in the show description yes. so that they're there for folks too. 
to be able to find easily when the shoe airs. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Annie, thank you for sharing all of this time. We really do appreciate it. And um, I know our audience is going to gain so many amazing ways that they can, you know, make their family experience so much more abundant. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. And thank you for what you're doing as well. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. (laughs) All right. We'll see you later. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening and spending time with us today. If you know anyone who could benefit from this podcast, we would be honored if you would share it. Please rate, review, subscribe, and download. Head over to podcast.familysuccesssecrets.com to have a top-rated Family Success Secret sent straight to your inbox. We look forward to spending time with you again next week during our next episode. See you then. Bye, everyone.